Creating Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 130 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Spartan and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, what's up? Not much. I'm getting ready to go on vacation, Brian. You'll be all alone next week without me. So you don't have access to the internet where you're going, right? The access to the internet is very spotty in Cuba. So you are going to Cuba. <laughs> yeah, it's not a secret. Let's start with that. Okay, yeah. I'm going to Cuba. Um, nice resorts over there. Very sunny at this time of year. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there won't be much rain. This is like the most meager like a pitch I've ever heard to, for going on vacation. Yeah, well, we need the time off. It's been a crappy winter. So, Angela, you won't have access to social media, for example, while in Cuba, right? No, just like here. I don't really have access to social media here either. So uh, the good news is that no one can sell your information to the Saudi Arabian government. This BuzzFeed article read sort of like a spy novel. Yes. So I linked you to a BuzzFeed news article entitled How Saudi Arabia Infiltrated Twitter. Now, Angelo. I love um, the picture at the top of the article. I know. I agree. The weird thing to me is that uh, uh, none of this surprised me. Like none of these revelations really surprised me, unfortunately. I know the article reads like it's some giant surprise that there are agents from other countries working at tech companies to get uh, to gain information. Um, but no, not shocking at all. Yeah. So there were a, a pair of um, uh, Twitter um, employees uh, who were uh, handing over sensitive information, including IP addresses, phone numbers, et cetera, to the Saudi government um, in exchange for, you know, uh, preferential treatment as well as money. Money's always the factor here, isn't it? It is. It really, once again, it doesn't surprise me. I don't know if I'm broken or not, but it didn't surprise me that any of this goes on, that state actors would have access to these social media networks um, in some uh, way or fashion, right? Uh, I pretty much nodded throughout the whole article, just saying, yeah, this checks out. This makes sense. This does not surprise me at all. Exactly. Uh, does that make us broken? Uh, not broken, but I guess, um, would you say we're cynical or realists? I do think that we are very, very uh, aware of the tech landscape uh, in 2020. And uh, so stuff like this does not surprise us. Maybe to someone who has a more uh, casual relationship to tech would be surprised by this. But someone like our friend TJ probably uh, is not surprised uh, by not any of this at all. No, he's deep into the conspiracies. He knows them. He, he Sometimes I feel like he makes things up in his head, but then they turn out to be true. Yeah, and that's the worst part is that he uh, sees things, says things, uh, and then um, uh, they turn out to be uh, true. So I don't know how I feel about that. Anyways, I thought this was a really interesting article in terms of how um, we're safe, but we're never really safe, right? Uh, any People have to realize anything they read on Twitter is the property of Twitter, basically. Doesn't it work that way? Uh, so sort of. I mean, yeah. the thing is like your anything that you put out there isn't necessarily yours to own and keep um, you know, uh, in solitude. And most people don't even turn off the GPS access Twitter has. So people know exactly where you are at all times with the use of Twitter. Uh, that's not the reason I stopped really using Twitter. I still kind of go to look at news, uh, make sure there's no viruses spreading around my house. And uh, yeah, Twitter can be great. I, I actually used it a lot last week to find out if my trains were running because there was uh, a blockade on my train tracks and I could not go to work. So you work from home. Worked from home for a couple of days. It was fine. Got a lot of us. I got stuff done, but still, uh, it was a bit of an inconvenience. Although I understand the reasons for the protests. Uh, coming back to the article at hand, though, um, you know we don't have to worry about this on Friendster because it no longer exists. 
Well, that and like it's just not a popular platform, right? Uh, no, it. Uh, I, I never actually used it. Really, I had to log in, never used it, and then I was one of the early adopters of um, MySpace. Weren't you like four years old? Yes, when I was on the internet, I was four. Yeah. So, when what was the first year you got an email address? Because that is a question that came up at work recently. Uh, ninety-seven. Yeah, it was. It was either ninety-eight or ninety-nine for me. Yeah, ninety-seven. I want to say ninety-eight. Yeah, it was at uh, at simpatico.ca. <laughs> Do you wish you still kept that email address? No. Do you ever wonder where the, all that um, unused mail ends up? I I wonder. We should open like, up the internet's uh, version of like the dead letter office. <laughs> just piles and piles of of fake paper, and just really really sad like a Viagra ads. <laughs> I I uh, that's something that really still bugs me. I almost paid what, for the a fact service. that you never clicked on Viagra ads. No, but it's all the like. Sometimes you'll send me these articles. This is BuzzFeed, so it's actually not terrible with the ads. They're not great, but they're not that terrible. But there are some really sketchy ads on some of the sites you sent me, although there are some sketchy ads at the bottom of this article if you look. Yeah, but some of them are real, though. Yeah, that's the thing that's kind of annoying. <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, moving onwards from uh, outside the home into uh, inside your home, Angelo, it turns out that if you use the uh, Flywheel um, bike service, uh, you'll soon be earning uh, owning a Peloton whether uh, you want to or not because of the fact that the uh, federal government of the States has uh, basically said, hey, uh, it is Peloton's patent uh, to lose, so uh, see you later. Okay, I, I, maybe I misunderstood, but these bikes don't work at all without the internet? And without from, the service? From what I understand, they don't. No, it's like a tandem service, right? So you can't even like sit on the bike and ride it? No. Yikes. And they're it's, like, they're not cheap, right? They're $2,000 no. bikes. Exactly. They're Because it comes with it. You know, it's a lifestyle, Angelo. It's just like how CrossFit was in a lifestyle like two or three years ago. Um. Okay. So this led me to uh, go back and look at that ad that Peloton ran, I guess, towards the holidays, which was a disaster. Yes. And um, there were a lot of comments on how this is very Black Mirror-esque. And I could not agree more because there's a few things about it, right? Like you you have to be tied to the service to use this bike. And you end up sort of being uh, attached to it almost. Like you have to. It becomes a, an addiction. And, right. And now <laughs> these poor people have lost access to their exercise bike because... Another exercise bike? That's like the exercise bike wars. Yeah. Well, um, the reason I wanted to link you to this is because I want to have a sort of like very frank discussion about the Internet of Things and uh, how that is a, a scary future that is now a dystopian reality. I remember the days when you would buy something and it wouldn't just brick on you unless it was a brick. <laughs> but yes, uh, you, you know what I mean? Brick. Like you'd buy your computer and it would be a computer for a few years and that's it. Or you'd buy your Nintendo and it would nintendo for the like as many actually my nintendo still works my original when i say nintendo i mean the original nes and it still works that's uh so what you're saying is that like nintendo didn't have any plan obsolescence no i i, I play like I've, i'm sure i've said this before but when i plugged in the nintendo into the tv my daughter asked me why there were ropes attached to the controller that's <laughs> a very relevant question to ask yeah but back in the day you were able to do a you know a thing with whatever uh, product you bought and that was that but now it's just <sighs> It's a whole disaster, Angelo. It's a whole dystopian disaster. You've watched, uh, we've talked about this, I think, about Silicon Valley, right? At one point, they had a whole arc about a smart fridge. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I haven't watched the last season of Silicon Valley. Okay. Was Anyways. it any good, Brian? Do you recommend it? 
I would recommend it. Okay. Um, it brings closure. Um, but that being said, like the idea that your fridge uh, isn't running unless you have the latest upgrade. And then there's also the uh, m- most infamous or like most well-known one is the printer cartridge issues that you have if you uh you know don't subscribe to the printer cartridge uh, program where they mail you printer cartridges at an inflated price or if you try to use a uh, quote-unquote hacked printer cartridge then it stops working too yeah costco has a whole thing where they refill your printer cartridges and uh, the companies that make printers printers and their cartridges do not like that i was about to say there's probably some kind of uh, issue in between uh, several entities including costco there they seem to be doing it fine, though. That's not. They haven't been stopped yet. Maybe like Flywheel, Peloton will swoop in and stop Costco, even though Peloton <laughs> has nothing to do. With Peloton will just swallow them whole. On, yeah, they have no uh, patents on uh, the actual in cartridges. But can you picture this like 15 years down the line, right? Like your smart fridge shuts up. Your smart TV won't stop talking to you. Your smartphone won't leave you alone. Your smart alarm clock needs an upgrade. Uh, you know, there's, oh, God, it's just exhausting. If you would go around your house and take note of the things that would stop working without the internet, are there a lot of things? No. I mean, um, uh, the TV, I guess, would be the only thing right now. Yeah, my TV. I mean, my computer would still work. It would be kind of boring without the internet, but it would still work. It would be a word processor. Yeah. Um, I would be programming in basic. Um, (laughs) I mean, a lot of stuff would still work, but... So much stuff relies on the internet. Like, right. What I'm saying is, like, as you move forward, as we move forward, um, you know, into the future, uh, I feel like as we replace stuff, like, uh, where's my dumb tech? Like, I feel like there's going to be a niche opening up in like 15 years from now that just is the idea of they're going to sell you something that is just that something, right? Like a toaster that doesn't need the internet. Like, what a novel concept. I still wish you can get a non-smart TV, but you really can't, and it's because we've talked about this before. The smart aspect of the TV is what keeps the price down. Exactly, because they're spying on you. Yeah, they're spying on you, just like uh, the uh, Saudi government. I just, uh, I'm sorry for all the animal videos I've been watching for the last like couple of days. That's been a lot of animal videos. Uh, you know, whoever is uh, buying info from Sharp. What's this? Kids with a cellular phone? Introducing Amigo from Cantel. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. <laughs> Double density. Do you have Lyme disease now? I saw you feeding a deer. <laughs> no, I do not have Lyme disease, Angela. I went to uh, you know a park where you can feed animals, um, and they're well killed, well well cared for, <laughs> well killed, well <laughs> killed. And uh, I spent uh, a night in a lodge uh, where one of the walls was just a giant window, um, and you could see out into a wolf enclosure. And uh, did you uh, see any lone wolves? I did not, though. Uh, we were told there was one in the park. That's kind of cool. It is. Um, but those wolves do not sleep, Angelo. It was like um, uh, being near television that was never turned off. Um, speaking of television, uh, going back to that Peloton ad, the uh, worst part of that ad, uh, she shot everything in portrait, and then they were yeah, watching it I on knew, a big screen TV. I knew you would bring this up. It uh, it was very bad. It was not great. I won't lie to you. It is uh, definitely not emblematic of like best practices. Uh, and we've discussed how to best use a smartphone video uh, mode. Yeah. And uh, we can talk about uh, shooting UFOs later. <laughs> we, yes, that's like a step two kind of thing. Step one is just to, to turn your camera the right way. Yeah. Uh, are you hungry, Brian? Uh, no, I'm not, Angelo. Why? Because uh, you could order some Blue Apron. Or maybe uh, not. <laughs> not maybe not. Exactly. Blue Apron is a, a $2 billion disaster. Um, yeah, things aren't going well for the, for the company that, uh, delivers food to the home. The only thing I know about Blue Apron is how many of the podcasts I listen to seem to use it. Seem or never... seemed, cause there's, I feel like it was like two years ago at this point. 
yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't remember the last time they had ads on podcasts, but uh, everybody seemed to be talking about it. That and uh, the other one, Stay Fresh, Get It Fresh, whatever it's um, called. Yeah. Hello Fresh. That's Hello it. Fresh. It's not something we really had much of in Canada. Did we have any of these services here? There are a few, yes. And as somebody with a family that actually wants to have extra food, it was never appealing to us because... Wait, yeah, because you get four meals and that's it. Yeah, but, well, no, Daddy yeah, that's it. has to starve in order for the kids to eat. Yeah, because we we uh, use our meals as leftovers for lunch the next day because uh, that's how we save money. To as do most normal people, Angelo. Um, so do you know anybody who's ever used any of these services? One person. Huh. One person and uh, they live in my building and it uh, ended pretty quickly. Well, that's what the article said, is that most people took advantage of the one free meal they got, and that's it. Yeah, there's like a a $50 voucher um, available to us, and we keep getting it in the mail, but we don't care enough. Also, um, it just doesn't make much sense for us. It doesn't make much sense for uh, many people. I like to think I'm old-fashioned, and I go to the grocery store. Oh, cool. That sounds uh, hip and unique. Uh, How many times a week do you go to the grocery store? Uh, Once, maybe twice. Okay. Yeah, most people... I've talked to seem to go more than once a week, which is odd to me. I just go once a week because I cannot stand going to the grocery store. I go on Sunday mornings when it's basically no one there. I like to go Friday nights and Sunday nights after eight because there is no one there and they close 11 around here. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't close at 11 around here. uh, We have have a curfew. I was was about to say sundown is usually when most of the businesses close, right? Yes, exactly. We have a curfew. What happens if you get caught outside after that? The wolves get you. Oh, perfect. So you just, you live fearful of wolves wherever you are. Yes, always. Do you think Cuba has a, a variety of wolf that you are afraid of? I don't think they have wolves on the resort I'm going to. Well, not yet. Mm, I hope not. <laughs> Angela, think about this for a sec. Blue Apron was valued at $2 billion on the private market in 2015, and now it is worth about $57 million. Angela. That is a 97% decline. That's bad, right? Is that bad? That's pretty bad, yeah. I mean, $57 million is still a lot of money. I, yes, but compared to $2 billion, It's not. It's like I was reading about the um, the clothing company Lula Rose, right? I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about at all. It's pronounced Lululemon. Mm, we'll try that later. But anyways, uh, the idea that uh, things are going well across the board for a lot of these different services, right? The idea is that you seem, uh, it's all about perception, right? So if you can seem to raise enough money and seem to want to keep afloat, um, you know, just like uh, uh, companies like Uber, for example, right? Who go in the hole or Netflix, you know, hoping to turn green in the long term eventually, but just keep, you know, shoveling for you know barrels full of money into the uh burning pyre of reality that does seem to have become the business model over the what last 10 years yeah absolutely like there's no company that comes out and is solvent within the first couple of years anymore right because the thing is that you're supposed to uh, be a disruptor you're supposed to you know be the uber of xyz you're supposed to do this thing where it's just um you take over a market in a way that uh wasn't expected and then you uh position yourself as a market leader even while you're bleeding cash this is basically post-internet bubble bursting, right? Before, it wasn't really like that. Uh, there were all these internet companies that just made all kinds of money, not because they had investors, right? The, these are the companies that later became investors. But all exactly. these smaller companies kind of phased, uh, fizzled out. And then there was this new way of investing in companies. And uh, yeah. what, mid-2000s, I guess, this started? I'd say after the economic crash of 2008, let's say it really got back into gear. All right, so like 11 years, 11, 12 years. Yeah, so it's been a decade of this kind of thing, right? Yeah, and um, um, it's just, you're right. It, it, we always say how much it bothers us when you have to be the Uber of something or 
whatever the the whatever of whatever basically the blue the apron of, of the blue apron of uh, telephone Apples. delivery services. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I am. Um, the thing is, like, I understand that they saw a niche in the market and decided to exploit that niche for you know financial gain. That's what you do as a business, but. What do growth and you know uh, sustained profits look like? This doesn't seem to be it. No, it's um, uh, how long do you give them? Uh, another year, I'd say. Yeah, they're just going to keep trying. They, it's I mean, sad. They laid they off, laid a, off a bunch of people, right? So yeah, so they laid off over two hundred forty workers um, and shutting down their shop um, at its Arlington, Texas warehouse location. So they're keeping California, New York, but they're closing everything down. Um, also, like food is a very tricky business, as you know. Yeah, it can go bad. <laughs> yes, but I mean supply and demand, etc. I was reading this fascinating article I about a month ago about uh, the uh, the financials behind how a buffet makes money. Super fascinating stuff. I'll be eating at a buffet next week. Well, it's a different kind of buffet, Angelo. Yeah. It's included in your price versus like you know if a football team shows up to your buffet, how bad is it for your bottom line, right? Oh yeah, I I, I have I'm not a huge fan of. Um, just like standard buffets, unless they're like at a resort where you're kind of forced to eat at the buffet. Right. Um, I, so I don't... asking you then, how do you approach the food at a, at a resort buffet? Very carefully because I, I've seen too many people get sick from uh, resort buffet food. So I, I stay away from like creamy things like crab salad and things like that or uh, undercooked fish. The resort I went to last year, um, some of the people working at the grill, not everybody, because sometimes the grill is good, but a few times uh, they would pick up raw chicken and put that on the grill and then pick up the cooked chicken with the same utensil that they picked oh, up the raw that's, chicken well, with. That's how you make food, Angela, I don't understand. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how you make Angela say, no, thank you. <laughs> and I'll just stick to the white rice. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, French fries are also a safe bet. Usually, yeah. Not the fruit necessarily, from what I understand, because I've never gone to a resort, right? So, I, so yes, I never eat. I never eat fruit or lettuce or anything like that. I, it's good to stay away from anything that may have been washed with, uh, like regular water from the tap. <laughs> yes, absolutely, because uh, their uh, water makeup uh, for the locals, and then what your uh, gut has are two different sets of bacteria. Right? Very much so. They're uh, they're very quick to tell you, do not drink our water. It's fine for us, not for you. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so you approach all aspects of food. It's kind of surprising, actually, that you do this. What? Go to a resort? Yeah. I I mean, it's it's fine. I'm I'm usually okay. It depends where, right? Like, uh, this is resort talk on double density. Uh, but I've been to a few countries. Uh, by far, the closest, actually, pretty much on par with the food we have here in Canada is in Mexico. It's pretty much the same stuff, right? Because of NAFTA. Does that still exist? I don't know. I don't know the politics. Um, Dominican Republic was okay as well, and Cuba has less to work with, but they they make do with what they have. Angelo, before I forget, it's uh, it's not NAFTA anymore. It's the UCM uh, USMCA. Oh, okay. Thank you. The United States Mexico Canada Agreement. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't follow any of that. Or if you're French Canadian, the MSA. Mm, Mbop. <laughs> Angelo, it is time to pour one out for wheel one. Okay. Do you know what that means? No. Oh, perfect. Great. Even better. Uh, over uh, the last weekend, we found out that Daredevil Mad Mike Hughes passed away uh, in the midst of a rocket launch as he uh, failed to open up his second shoot 5,000 feet in the air. In a way, it's it's it. It's kind of sad. Uh, he was trying to do something interesting for himself. Uh, we may not have agreed why he was doing it. 
so we'll get into that in a sec though because it seems to me i mean just a ruse what you think he's still alive <laughs> no this isn't a two-box situation here okay um yeah there's a video but then it doesn't work unfortunately right yeah um, well I, ho- I would hope not because it's a video of a man dying yeah that's kind of bad um yeah, we've talked about him a few times, and uh, we were kind of rooting for him, no? I wanted him to succeed in a way that you want someone you're not directly oppositional to succeed. And and then if he would have succeeded, he would have seen, oh, wait, the Earth isn't flat. Because that's his whole deal, right, is that he wanted to prove that the Earth was flat. Right. Well, if you go ahead and read the Vice News article, uh, the title is Mad Mike Hughes was a Daredevil first, a Flat Earther second, right? So after his unfortunate uh, passing in early February, his publicist, Darren Schuster, told Vice the following. As his PR rep for 17 years and privy to hundreds of hours one-on-one, I can say with certainty he was a great American Daredevil. While open to the idea of government conspiracies, he was a Daredevil who used Flat Earth publicity to get worldwide attention. It was a PR stunt. We used the attention to get sponsorships and it kept working over and over again. For the sake of Mike's legacy, it's time to tell the truth. So he wasn't really a flat earther. Well, he was kind problem, of into it, but not really. The problem is that his rocket partner, Waldo Stakes, claims that Schuster's comments were all BS. Oh. Quote, made it all up, and Schuster is, uh, quote unquote, uh, full of s***. You're going to have to bleep that in the in post. I will have to bleep that in post. But yes, uh, very, very unfortunate passing. I mean, like, he died doing what he loved. It probably was a, an unfortunate death. It probably hurt a lot, let's be honest here. Uh, yeah, probably. Or maybe not. I mean, wouldn't you go quick if you felt like that? I don't know. Yeah, I get, yeah, it depends on the impact, right? Why are we talking about this part of it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's horrifying. Uh, uh, Angela, as always, uh, I warned you of the uh, potential for hilariousness in the comment section to the BuzzFeed News article announcing uh, Mike Hughes' death. And, of course, Mike Hughes, we had brought up originally on episodes 32 and 42 of Double Density. You know, when we were way baby, we were baby density years. Oh, yeah. We hardly even, we hardly even knew how to internet. Exactly. We internet 1.0'd back then. But Angelo, uh, there was a whole argument in the comment section about uh, entering Valhalla. One of the first comments is uh, a woman finding it very disturbing that people are making jokes. And the reply to that was, first day on the internet? (laughs) Angelo, uh, apparently um, Mad Mike Hughes uh, will not enter Valhalla, according to uh, user Bryce Sager, because Valhalla is for warriors. Yeah, he's not a warrior, Brian. He's not a warrior. And so a, a whole fight erupted. Uh, Christopher George, who apparently don't have a clue about how heathen beliefs work or how entry, entry Valhalla is obtained. That's a sick right there. Please tell me your why you are not another one of these tools using heathen beliefs like it's a catchphrase. And this yeah. just goes on and on and on. This is why I stay away from comments. I, oh, it's also, just the people take the time to do this. Yes. To go Have you never argued on, on the internet? I, I'm dipping my feet back into trolling, my friend. It's not oh, good. Yeah. Oh. It's Are not you good. going I'll... to uh, Above Top Secret to do that? No, no. It's just straight on Twitter now. Okay. Good job. Uh, uh, so uh, someone said, uh, so sorry to see him falling sad. No, no, any government authority stop him doing this illegal act. What act is legal about this? And then, of course, they point out that he has a Middle Eastern name and then just a lot of racism happens right there. Who was the, the person who made the comment? Exactly. Yeah, because people are gross. It's unfortunate. Um, and it seems like there was another parachute issue because uh, Mike was supposed to have two parachutes and then the second one, either he chose not to open or wasn't opening up. Yeah. It, it, it's really sad. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
it's also unfortunate that uh, yeah uh, i wonder how the flat earth community feels about this i'm not i was tempted to go take a look and then i figured i might as well just uh, stay away from those rivers and streams you might get sucked in brian and become a flat earther because that's what happens wouldn't that be the best that and then this this podcast would be uh pretty interesting because of that one of my favorite uh, new YouTube channels is a YouTube channel called uh, No Breaks All Gas or All Gas No Breaks. And it's just this guy who goes to these events and interviews people. So he went to a Flat Earth conference. And I think I linked you to that. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to put that in the show notes too. Just, you know, to keep things in context here. Good idea. Angelo, and with that, I feel like we need to close off episode 130's tech segment. I thought you were going to just end the episode there. No, I, I would love to so that way you can get to your buffet. But no, my buffet is not going to be for another few days. Um, so while you, people listen to this next week, you'll be eating from a buffet, right? Because we're recording this before you've left. Yeah, so I'll be uh, yeah, I'll I'll be there on for sure on Wednesday. I Just think eating eating a buffet. If anyone's going to a, a random what is it Cuba a random Cuban resort in the next couple of weeks, hit Angelo up. I won't be at a random resort though. I'll be at a very specific one. <laughs> but you know the idea is that they'll name the resorts and then you say, oh, I'm going to that one too. Oh, maybe double density meetup, my friend. Oh, that'll be amazing. <laughs> Okay, let's go to the paranormal side. Great. What could space be? What could it be made of? What the heck is all those lights out there? Is this just a black curtain with holes in it? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So in episode 129, Angelo, you and I discussed UFO, tourism, Area 51, etc., etc. And we both fell upon something called M-Triangle, which is, uh, uh, some say, the uh, modern equivalent uh, to, uh, you know, North America has Area 51. Russia has something called M-Triangle, a.k.a. M-Zone, a.k.a. the Perm Anomalous Zone, Angelo. Interesting. What's fun to me is that I had never heard of this. No, me neither. And then uh, I started doing a lot of research. Um, so there is a scant uh, uh, empirical evidence out there of the the things that exist out there. So let's start with that, right? So in all my research, it's a lot of hearsay and a lot of um, um, first-person testimonials um, that don't seem to make a lot of sense. And uh, I took uh, your task that you gave me and looked it up using academic resources, and all I found was math stuff. Right. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, so, Angelo, uh, the M-Triangle, M-Zone, uh, let's, do you want to stick to a, a particular name here? M-Triangle. Let's do M-Triangle, okay. So, M-Triangle is located about 600 miles east of Moscow, and it might be, according to some Russians, the best place in all of the uh, country to see UFO. So, uh, it is a hot point of interest for Russians involved in ufology, and uh, so I started digging some stuff up. So, per message to eagle.com, I'm going to read this quote for you. Okay, you ready? Always ready. Though it is assumed that strange and unexplained events have taken place in the region for a long time, M-Triangle, a.k.a. M-Zone, a.k.a. Permanalma Zone, was officially discovered in the 1980s. The zone is located about 10 kilometers from the Mayoka village, which was founded in 1787. This remote corner is located at the confluence of the Silva and Malboga rivers. The area of the anomalous zone is roughly 70 square kilometers and is essentially comprised of dense forest. One of the first observations of an unusual phenomenon was reported in the summer of 1980 by, pa- by Pavel Sergvev 
a local resident who witnessed how an object fell into a pond. It must have been a rather large and heavy object because the waves rose more than 10 meters above the waterline. Also in October 1984, Emil Bakurin, one of Russia's leading ufologists who unfortunately passed away in 2009, observed a purple ball that suddenly appeared out of nowhere from the forest. I'm finding that this is like a whole untapped resource of UFO events that we never really think about being in North America. We always kind of resort to Area 51 and Roswell and stuff like Falcon Lake. And um, what's the one in Nova Scotia, Brian? Shag Harbor. Shag Harbor. Yes, I, I could not remember. But there's really cool stuff that happened in Russia, like the the Tunguski like the Tunguska event with the meteor, or was it a meteor? We don't know. Right. Um, there's a few times. There's also the more recent meteor that happened in, in Russia. Yeah, and thanks to 10,000 dashboard cams, we got to see all of it, right? That was pretty amazing that we were able to see that. Thank you, uh, Russian insurance fraud. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's... Uh, well, I mean, that's the reason why they all have dashboard yes, cams, Yes, I know. Right? That's crazy that that happens so often yeah. that you need a, ta- a dash cam. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read about these uh, these UFO events. Um, so Brent Swanser, writing for Mysterious Universe, says, By far one of the most well-known of the many phenomena of the Permanomalous Zone is the unusually high concentration of UFO sightings here, and indeed it is considered by many to be one of the biggest uh, UFO hotspots in the country. One of the most famous UFO-related incidents in the region supposedly happened in 1983. So uh, even the dates are, are sort of like uh, unsure, right? Because I said 1984 before, and now they're reporting 1983. So when Russian ufologist Emil Bakurin claimed to have seen a purple ball of light rise out of the thick forest to leave behind a patch of melted snow and ice measuring 206 feet across. Bakurin would also claim that he and his expedition had been chased by orbs of light through the trees that had burnt them with some sort of rays, with one of the team even completely knocked unconscious by one of the lights. Now, we I tried to find follow-up for this, and there's not a ton of it, because, um, you know, in these instances, when something happens, like you were talking about Falcon Lake, like when Stan Mikulak gets hit, right, there's like a physical residue to like what happens to him, right? Unfortunately, there are, um, uh, I wasn't able to find much about what happens to uh, members of the expedition who got hit by these weird rays. And this was also at the height of the Soviet Union when uh, information was really not coming out to us here uh, in the West. Yeah. Uh, so there was another event in 2005 when an expedition of ufologists from, oh, damn it, uh, Yekaterinburg were in the zone and, and yeah. purportedly spotted a giant glowing ball above the trees. One of the expedition members would mysteriously go missing the following morning. And rather chillingly, a picture purportedly snapped of the UFO allegedly shows a beam of light extending from the object to the missing man. Uh, expeditions and Russia uh, don't go well together, apparently. <laughs> That is uh, quite true. Angelo, um, uh, not only is it a hotspot for UFOs, but people have, have also claimed at various times in the last two and a half decades to three decades to have seen glowing aliens in the dense forest. Like glowing, remember like that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Byrne gets his like shots every Friday? <laughs> I haven't watched Simpsons in so long, but I know what you mean. So I bring in, you know, what is it, Peace and Joy or whatever? Yeah. So a lot of people are claiming, actually, that uh, they have seen glowing um, um, alien-like figures moving uh, in the distance. Now, okay, we're, we're talking Russia, and I, it's hard for me not to bring it up, but do you think uh, the Datlov Pass, Datlov Pass has anything to do with UFOs? <laughs> I don't think so in this case. Oh, too bad. So, Angelo, uh, not only is it a hotspot for UFOs, but it seems like it's also like a weird spot for people um, and uh, physical reactions. So people who have visited the M-Triangle area have experienced headaches, high temperatures, and states of temper. 
Electromagnetic energy can also cause people to feel ill under certain conditions. For example, uh, James Beale has suggested that variations in the Earth's magnetic field can trigger responses in the nervous system of certain people who are particularly sensitive to such anomalies because of the quirks in their body chemistry. Um, so, as you know, both animals and people can react to electromagnetic uh, energy. Uh, it also turns out that um, uh, compasses don't work there. Uh, electrical magnet is prone to stop working as well. Cell phones go dead. And witnesses have even talked of how watches will sometimes begin to spin backwards in the zone. Has this been actually documented, though, or is it just all hearsay? So a bunch of it has been documented. Okay, because so, um, that's stuff that's very easy to document. You can go now and video your watch going crazy or whatever. Actually, you can't because apparently nothing works. Well, I was going to get into this later, Angela, but thank you for ruining my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> so it actually turns out, and uh, I hit up Russian Wikipedia for this one. Um, a study was undertaken by Perm State University students and staff in the summer of 1992, and the following explanations are given for the winners encountered. So they were not able to record a magnetic field variation. So there goes that. Not too bad. Um, soil samples did not show the presence of microorganisms that are not characteristic to the area. Okay. Uh, there was a slightly increased background radiation, and it was probably due to the presence of heavy hydrocarbon fractions in the soil, which is due to oil production in the area. Okay, so nothing's happening now. Um, so some ufologists claims to have seen uh, pyramids, quote-unquote, which are, uh, as they are saying, artifacts of unknown civilizations, are actually just heaps of slag left over from what's existing smelter production area. So people are kind of reading into this area way more than they should be. Yes. So um, also some people from the Perm Mining Institute in the late 1980s, um, uh, for the sake of the experiment, also uh, buried several kilograms of magnets in different places to see if they could alter um, anything at all. And it actually didn't work out. There's also the infamous story of a um, man who was discharged from the Russian army who uh, went through this forest and emerged whole, happy and healthy and then uh, became a cosmonaut. But uh, it seems like uh, his um, pre-entrance injuries were overstated. That sounds made up, though it isn't he's like a, it's a documented case oh it is of, okay yeah but the thing is like it seems like um uh the uh degree to which he healed and was needed of healing are uh, very very uh minor like he had a scrape on his elbow something like that yeah okay. but uh very weird zone uh yeah. i have a lot of theories about this i kind of want to hear what you have to say right so um but oh before i forget of course um per the educating humanity website um in a post using mac maloney's beyond area 51 as a basis uh they say quote no surprises that the kgb will let civilians into the area before 1988 this may seem the stuff of science fiction but assuredly the m tribal is real is real end quote so uh, kind of a standard sentence right it's the standard sentence for all of these types of places, Area 51. What's the one that you had uh, TJ talk about? The one in what? Philadelphia with the Philadelphia experiment? The right? Montauk like, Project? Yeah, like all these places have these uh, this mystique around them. And uh, it ends up being less than it really is. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Though um, the post, and this is the main point I want to make, uh, the next paragraph is what throws the the bad in with the good Angelo quote. But there seems to be good evidence that the Navy built a secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle, knowing full well all the strange things that go on there, and that Richard Nixon showed Jackie Gleason the remains of UFO and its deceased crew, and that almost something almost quote-unquote heavenly is happening inside the aforementioned M Triangle. So, don't know about that one. But uh, now, so now, like, how did the American government get tied up in all this? Like, they started, so it's two separate things that they're talking about in that. Yes, exactly. Well, he's trying to say that, like, listen, all these uh, 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 things have happened. Uh, surely M Triangle is also real. Oh, yeah. Okay, of course. Angelo, would it surprise you that uh, the first UFO sanctuary opened in Russia about 125 miles away from Perm? 
Of course not. So this happened in uh, 2008, and this is reporting directly from Pravda.ru. Um, so this was a press release. So uh, a lot of really interesting things. Uh, they uh, have a... Um, a statue, I guess, like erected to uh, celebrate the fact that there's a UFO out there or that there were aliens out there. What does this statue look like? It's a really ugly uh, alien. Too bad. I know. I know. So and is, uh, it, is it like the regular type of alien, like a gray alien? I, I guess so. The thing is like it's made of, uh, it seems like clay or something. So it's kind of hard to say what it's supposed to look like. Okay. Because I, I wonder, like, the, do the aliens that are seen in M-Triangle different from the aliens we see here? That's a good question, whether there's a universality or not. I would assume um, there isn't. Also, Angela, if you'd like to laugh, um, the Pravda article, of course, has a still of the alien autopsy video from the 90s. Oh, well, because that is uh, documented and true. Perm Region Minister of Trade, Elena Gilzavoya, likes the idea of the UFO sanctuary. Quote, Molbega is a famous and popular place with his British history. It would be inefficient not to use this town as a tourist attraction. People will keep on visiting Malbega, whether we like it or not. Every year, they claim 450,000 tourists visit the Perm region, half Damn. heading to the abnormal zone. I'm not sure how true those stats are. They sound a little made up. That's a lot of people going to like the middle of Russia, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a little far out of the way from Moscow and all that, right? I, I don't think of it having a vibrant tourism uh, industry there, but maybe I'm wrong. I just go Maybe, to the same yeah. place over and over again. It's true. I was about to say, you visit uh, a lot of tourist hotspots, mostly just to relax and ignore me. Exactly. So, Angelo, I don't know. I feel like uh, uh, the most satisfying solution or like explanation of this is perhaps uh, it is anomalous, uh, or sorry, analogous to Area 51 in that it is a place where, uh, you know, perhaps there are, you know, test flights happening. Yeah, they may have tested uh, weapons there or, uh, like you said, flights of uh, any sort of military technology. And uh, now there seems to be nothing happening there. No, it's kind of quiet. It is a place that you can visit. Apparently Um, uh, a lot of the hotbed of activity has kind of calmed down since 2005. From what I understand from uh, reading uh, translated (laughs) Russian sources, there are probably Um, wolves there. There might be actually wolves. That's a very good point, actually. But yeah, the idea that this exists, I know. And, and you know, I'm throwing this idea out of, you know, it being like a testing site um, willy-nilly. Like, I don't have any concrete evidence, but at this point, it's just as good as anyone else on the internet saying, hey, guess what? I know all about M-Triangle. Yeah, you have evidence from Above Top Secrets, so that's good enough for me. Yeah, screenshots. I got the screenshots, bro. I have the receipts. But yeah, the Permanomalous Zone is very, very interesting and very, very weird. And now we're on the case of Russia here. You sent me something really, really fun. Yes. So it is a New York Times article from October 11th, 1989, entitled UFO landing is fact, not fantasy, the Russians insist. So, I, you know, in my trying to use my Google foo, I was trying to uh, find some, you know, uh, evidence related to this case. And uh, this uh, came up as a result and I could not stop laughing at this. So apparently, uh, you know, uh, late uh, in September 1989, uh, UFOs and aliens uh, visited Russia. Yeah, it was... Um and it's an interesting article because yes. of the description of the alien is nothing like I've ever heard a description of an alien before. No, they literally sound like club goers. Really tall club goers with three eyes. Yeah, so uh, they insisted that lanky, thread extraterrestrial creatures had indeed landed in a local park in uh, Voronezh. I, I think, yeah. yeah, that sounds actually more Russian how you pronounced yeah. it the second time. That makes more sense. In southern Russia. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, so the Russian government was out there in the 80s saying, yes, we were actually visiting, guys. Don't worry about it. 
Now, can you please uh, describe these aliens? <laughs> so per the article, the three-eyed creature, about nine feet tall and fashionably dressed in silvery overalls and bronze boots with a disc on his chest, disappeared, then landed and came out for a promenade with a companion and a robot. It sounds like it's uh, it's like a weird version of Doctor Who. Yeah, or the, you know... <laughs> I guess so. Or any number of like 50 science fiction movies where, you know, the uh, UFO lands on the White House lawn. What year was this? 89. 89. So this happened, the incident happened in September 89th in between. They seem to say the 27th, but uh, the cops say between the 23rd and the 29th. They claim that um, there were three landings in that time. All of the same sort of uh, person appearing. (sighs) I, um, and who are the witnesses? Basically children? Children, yes. So the local cop, the Vornoshev cop, claimed that though isolated from another, the children uh, who had witnessed this encounter all drew a banana-shaped object that left behind in the sky the sign of the letter X. X marks the banana. (laughs) And apparently uh, these were reported as typical of UFOs in a 1976 article in the now-defunct American magazine Saga. Okay, so there's precedent for this? I mean, the the idea of a banana-shaped object leaving an X, sure. That sounds like almost anything. Yeah, I guess. It could have been a blimp. <laughs> um, that doesn't explain the nine-foot-tall alien with uh, questionable fashion sense. So Vladimir Moisev, the director of the regional health department there, said in a telephone interview that despite reports of widespread fear in the city, none of the witnesses had applied for medical help. But he said that, quote, certainly we are planning to examine the children, end quote. There was no explanation why, with the passing of two weeks, such an examination had yet not taken place. Yeah, apparently the the creature also like stared at a boy and it paralyzed them. Yeah, the boy terrified. The boy began to scream, but with the stare of the alien's shining eyes, the boy was silenced and paralyzed. I don't know. It, it's a, it's a it's a fun story, and I've never heard of this one before ever. I'm surprised. Have you ever heard of this? No, never. Uh, also, just to quote from the article, this is another great paragraph. The aliens seem to communicate with each other, producing the mysterious appearance of a shining triangle and activated the robot with a touch. So they're way ahead of us in technology. They have cool yeah. robots. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. So there were um, two boys and a girl who had seen uh, the original and like, probably like the most famous appearance on the uh, 27th of September, 1989. And uh, the crowd uh, from the local town gathered as the ship uh, opened up. And uh, the uh, club-going aliens were ready to go at us. I mean, Russia has good clubs, right? I would assume so. I don't know. I've, I've never been to a Russian nightclub. Neither have I. Uh, I don't know. I, I found this story kind of particularly interesting because of the fact that the government acknowledged uh, you, uh, an alien presence. Uh, yeah. It's just, again, still uh, before this was 89, so before the Soviet Union fell, and... Uh, not much information was getting out. I'm surprised they actually talked to the New York Times. How did the New York Times get this article? I don't know. It's a really interesting question, especially in the 80s, right? Because like we're, uh, we're what? We were two years out from the fall of the Soviet yeah, Union, so it's exactly. still pretty tight. Yeah. So it's it's weird that they had this. I mean, it was much more open by then, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially after Glasnost, but yes. Yeah. So, but still, um, I have you. I've never heard of this author of the the story either. Uh, Esther B. Fine. That sounds like yeah. a fake name. <laughs> like a codename? Yeah. She seems to uh, be like a, a like a Soviet affairs correspondent. Okay. Anyways, Angel, I figured that this was a, a fun little story. Uh, I will not lie. This was my favorite article you gave me for today's episode. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, was, uh, I just love the idea that, like, uh, you know, the USSR is like, yes, of course, of course, the aliens landed, and of course, we hung out, and of course, the, you know, we're examining the children soon. It seems very laissez-faire. Like, oh yeah, it, it seems like it was a very normal occurrence for them to like undergo this kind of situation. I just love the description because I've never seen a, this, uh, an alien described like that, and uh, I don't think there's ever been one since. I haven't either, but if anyone has heard a similar description, uh, let us know, double underscore density on uh, Twitter. I will once again describe them. The three-eyed creature, about nine feet tall and fashionably dressed in silvery overalls and bronze boots and with a disc on its chest, disappeared, then landed and came out for promenade with a companion and a robot. So two aliens, one robot, uh, very, very tall, dressed with a silver disc. I'm picturing that disc as like a uh, very gold chain-like, you know, oh, you know for what sure. I'm about? Just dangling? Yeah, like his, his chest hair showing, alien chest hair. <laughs> Angela, I feel like we need to end this episode before oh. we sort of descend into uh, UFO-related madness. It's been fun, buddy. Yeah, the next time we talk, I'll have come back from a vacation. Hopefully, I won't be stranded there because of coronavirus or anything like that. Strategic food decisions, my friend. Yes. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that goes. Some nice warm weather. I just mentioned where we can find us on Twitter, double underscore density. You can also email us at double density podcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can find us on Instagram at double density podcast. And then you can head over to double density.net to see all the ways in which you can subscribe to new episodes biweekly on Wednesdays, as well as, uh, you know, read our scant writings from like two years ago at this point. Yeah, we should write something on there. Maybe a recipe. I'll get, <laughs> yeah, come back with a Cuban recipe. Oh, okay. Let's do that, Angelo. Great. I can't wait. Everyone, tune in next episode as I send Angelo to Timbuktu to document his newfound life outside the home. See you then. See ya. Hold on, let me let my dishwasher empty. phone now let's see if anyone's bothering me no just you sorry all right come on dishwasher